You're listening to the No Gray Areas podcast with Patrick McCullough. Today's guest is Chris Wineland, author and comedian. Chris talks about being an influential entertainer, having ambition, and handling hecklers. Let's dive in. Chris Wineland, welcome to No Gray Areas podcast. So good to have you. You and I worked together for yeah. a very short time at a local church here in Greater Phoenix for a short time. That's how we got to know each other. Correct. Uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, Christianity and Hollywood mm-hmm. and history. I mean, I'm a history geek. And so when you were telling <laughs> me you like uh, talking about the history of that, I, I was geeking out already on that. So I'm excited about that. First, let's let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us your background, right? Yeah. So first off, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I got yeah. a haircut just for this podcast. <laughs> I did. <What? laughs> I did. No it's one true. can see you. I know. It doesn't matter. I, have, that's how excited I was. Yeah. We have 20 people that watch the YouTube okay. one and then, you know, the many, many right. that listen. Well, so, that's I'm good. glad you got the haircut. The 20 people are going to be so appreciative. They are. They're going to be like, did he get a haircut just for this? Yeah. And it's true. I did because I hate haircuts. Yeah. And I got it just in case, just in case for your 20 people. Yes. So Why do you hate haircuts? I do. I hate haircuts. Why? can't stand it. Because people want to do small talk and then they're cutting your hair and they're like, what do you do? And yeah. because I'm a comedian, it's a very awkward question to answer. Because yes. the moment you say, I'm a comedian... They want a joke. They want a yeah, a stand-up and routine while you're a stand-up sitting routine your while you're sitting. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, I, no, keep doing your job. Yeah, this yeah. isn't this isn't yeah. an audience yeah. of one. It's very awkward. Yeah. You know, no comedian is getting up on stage and getting their hair cut while they tell a joke. You know, it's, it doesn't it doesn't it's work. True, it doesn't true. work. It's true. So, um, what would you question? Do you, do you know, <laughs> this is gonna be the whole podcast. I know. Today. I know. This is the whole podcast. Like, Wait, what were you gonna say? And you just asked me what was my question. I don't have a clue what my question. Oh, okay. But, um, um. Almost every comedian that I know is yeah. actually a really deep thinker too. Like yeah. you, you get to know them, and you're the same <laughs> way. I found out you're the same way. <laughs> that you get to know you a little bit, and you just think like, "Oh, these guys are always funny, and they're yeah. always being." But you sit down and start We're talking not. to them, and like, "Yeah, yeah." I've asked your wife. Is he always funny? She's like, "He's really hardly ever funny." <laughs> it's true. It's actually true. I'm a. We're very boring people. Yeah. Comedians are so boring. We. I remember a few years in. I went to this big party of comedians. Yeah. And it was like after a show, and so all these comics were there. And it was it was some pretty big names, and there were these uh, you know just uh, the non comics that were yeah. there, like these fans or whatever. There were these couple of girls that were hanging out with all of us comics, and we're just sitting around, and it is like that intellectual thinking. Yeah, we were just like, well, did you know that that bees really are not supposed to fly with their wings? Like we're just saying all this random stuff, and the one girl speaks up after an hour of hearing this, and she goes. So you guys aren't really funny, are you? And we all were like, no, yeah. no, no, we're no, not. No. It's a, it's a skill. It's yeah. not like it's not like we're constantly funny because we're really not. We're uh, much deep thinkers. Yeah. I think the most boring lunches I've ever had are are with fellow comedians. Yeah, yeah. and they're just boring. We're yeah. just sitting there eating, you know, tacos or whatever. Well, when I say intellectual, I've enjoyed my conversations yeah. with the comics, including you, that yeah. I've gotten to know. It's just that you think you're going to be sitting there getting nonstop jokes. It's not that way. All of a sudden, it's like we're having deep conversations, like good conversations. But when you just called it a skill, I think I I love that, that you Mm use that word because it's a skill. I mean, I'm a public speaker. I'm on the stage. I can't imagine doing stand-up comedy. Yeah. Yeah, it is a skill. Why would you choose that? (laughs) I think it's the coolest thing. Honestly, I think it's the coolest, most rock star thing you can do. Yeah. Because it's not like a band where you're working together, five or six people, and then you're playing. It's like one individual person standing in front of 200, 400 people, and you're telling them, you laugh when I tell you to laugh. Like, that, that's ridiculous. That's rebellious. Yeah. That's yeah. just crazy to me. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I didn't want to do it. So I started comedy when I was 18. I'm 31 now. Yeah. Uh, I think it's okay to tell with you your, my age, yeah, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. With your haircut, <laughs> I thought you were like 24. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. See, yeah. that's why I did it. Um, no, I started when I was 18, and it's actually because my mom 
forced me to get up on stage and do comedy. So, Your mom forced you to be so you're a comedian yes. today because mom made me. Because mom made me. Yeah. Yeah. Usually parents want you to be a dentist or yeah. a lawyer. Yeah. Not my mom. My mom was like, <laughs> You're gonna be a comedian. Literally, I don't know why. She always thought I was funny or something. Yeah. And so she told me, when you're 18, you gotta go to the to a comedy club. So on my 18th birthday, she took me to a comedy club and we found out they did an open mic the next day. So I went home and I just wrote material. And uh, the next day, we I got up on stage, and somebody other than my mom laughed, and I was mind <laughs> blown. I was like, that wasn't even my mom. I was hooked. Yeah, I was yeah. hooked. I did 200 yeah. shows the first year, just totally hooked. And it was all free. Like, Did, I, your, mo did your mom laugh in that first comedy she show? She did. She, she loved, yeah. So you had two She's people a, laughing with you. Two people, at least, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yes. Uh, my mom's always been so supportive of my comedy. So the whole reason like that, I'm, that I've been doing comedy for 14 years now is because my mom told me to get up on stage. I never thought I would really like it. Yeah. Um, and I was just obsessed with it. How cool is that? Because like you're saying, we were kind of joking about it, but a lot of times moms are like, you know, come on, a comedian, yeah. you know, or, but your mom was actually saw that yeah. skill, that talent, and was mm -hmm. like, go for it. You know, my parents both are dreamers and they both have always seen that like, I'm a pretty ambitious kid. Yeah. So they've always done a good job. Both both parents have done a great job of like helping me. But yeah. my mom has always been like, whatever the weirdest thing is, you should probably do it. <laughs> I don't know why, she's yeah. always been for that. So yeah, um, so yeah I, I just did it, I loved it. And the first year, like I said, I was doing 200 shows, but it was in Ohio, Northeast Ohio, and there were not a lot of wait, clubs. Wait, 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 let me pause for a second. Yes. I might've missed that. Your first year, you did 200 shows? I did 200 shows, yeah. So you're 18, All free. you find out there's an open mic the next day, you go <laughs> home, you write some material, you get a couple laughs, mom and, a, mm -hmm. and someone else, you're hooked, and hooked. then you end up doing 200 shows. I did 200 shows that year, my first year. But it was all what? free. It was all free. Yeah. Because I would go to like open mics. And then when, when there weren't open mics, I would go to Taco Bell's. Literally, no yeah. lie. I'd go to Taco Bell's because at 10 p.m., anybody is, you know, they're, they're not just eating because they're hungry. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I would just walk up and be like, hey, I'm a comedian. Can I tell you a joke? And they would just be like, okay. And, you know, just in the middle of eating their chalupa. And I would just start telling jokes. And so next <laughs> that's a, thing you know. That's a, that's a pretty good place to test jokes, right? It really is. Because yes. someone in Taco Bell eating a chalupa at 10 o'clock is going to, they're either going to mm -hmm. tell you the truth or they're going to laugh. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or they're just going to laugh because they're already laughing yeah. for a million different reasons. Yeah. So uh, I started just doing, you know, comedy. People would like, you know, just kind of uh, in the Taco Bell, they'd get there. And if there were, uh, if I would walk by bars, and I hear that there's a speaker, I would go up to the band and I'd say, when you're taking a break, can I do comedy? Like literally, I would do anything. I would do birthday parties. I would do all of it my first year. I did 200 shows my first year, just all free, whatever I could find. Chris, that's a lot of ambition. Thanks. Well, yeah. Seriously. I've been told I'm slightly ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've heard it. Um, but then it paid off because my you're second like, year. So you're 18, 19 at the time then? Yeah, I was 18. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you a rule, okay, if you ever want to do comedy, the rule is... I don't, but go ahead and okay, tell me the rule. Okay, but if you ever did, yeah. if you ever did, yeah, I'm helping yeah, you out. Yeah. The rule is don't charge your first year because you're not going to do good, okay? Don't charge your first year, no matter what. And right at the end of my one-year anniversary, I decided to disregard that rule, and I charged the church that wanted me to do 30 minutes. Yeah. And I am telling you, sir, I bombed. It was <laughs> the worst. It was so bad that at the end, I walked up to the guy that was going to hand me the check, and I said... I don't deserve money. <laughs> and then he looked directly in my eyes and said, I already wrote the check. 
And he just like he he agreed so that he I was bad. Argue, he didn't argue. No. He was like, no, 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 go ahead and it take was, it. He's like, it was bad. And it was like right, you know, it was right before my year two when I was gonna start the charge. Yeah, and yeah. oh, it was terrible. It was yeah. terrible. What's so why why do you think that is? Like wh- like were you having pretty good success that first year when you did all these free shows? Yeah, you but feeling- you know, yeah, when it's free and when you charge, it's just two different worlds. Cause when it's free, it's like yeah, okay, if you make yeah. me laugh, that's great. You know, yeah. we're all here yeah. together. If it's charged, it's like, well, you better you be better worth be the money yeah. that I'm putting up, especially for churches usually. Yeah. And so it was just this like small church and uh, it, the pastor, if the pastor didn't laugh, the congregation didn't laugh. And that was my first experience with that. It so was, they were looking at the pastor to see if they should laugh at this. Correct. And the pastor only laughed one time. <laughs> one time in 30 minutes. It when wasn't made, good. When you made fun of elders. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And then you could see them all go, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, you're all, you know, whatever. Yeah. So but, just, I'm just curious, were those new jokes that you were doing that night? Or was well, it... Well, that's the or thing. Or was it a lot with the whole pay thing? Yeah, so that's the thing. When you start off with a year, you really don't have a lot of good material. You know, so I had 30 minutes, but none of it was good. Like I would say out of the 30 minutes in a year, five minutes w- was good. Okay. I didn't really learn to be a good writer until my second year. I was opening up uh, for the head writer of Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. And I think the 200 shows paid off because I opened up for the whole weekend. And at the end, he said, hey, would you ever want to write for Late Night with Jimmy Fallon? And I said, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because he saw you had some pretty good material. Yeah, he, he liked yeah. my material. Yeah. So I said, well, ab- yeah, absolutely. And so I ended up becoming a monologue writer. Yeah. And that really helped because I would write about a hundred jokes a night. A hundred jokes a night? Yeah. Yeah. For a monologue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They, they send you like information. They send you like all these subjects, you know, yeah. all these like top news. Like current events. Current yeah, events, yeah. stuff like that. And so I, I took it seriously. Again, a little ambitious. And I was like... Okay, I spent, I mean, I'm 19 years old. I can just stay up all night, right? Yeah. Who's going to stop me? Yeah. So I stayed up all night and I wrote 100 jokes and then 10 a.m., 10 jokes are due. But I wrote 100. Would you pick the best out of the 100 or would I you would. just give them the 100? No, no, no. No, because you're only supposed to send in okay. 10. So I would look at the 100 and then I would send my best 10. And then for the first few months, it was like terrible. Like I don't even want to go back and look at those jokes. Uh, but then after a while, I started to get it, you know, because I would, I would watch the show every night and be like, Okay, I get it. This is how I get better. This is how I do better and stuff. So, yeah, yeah it just really kind of paid off. And then, and then I remember there was a, a comic that came up to me mid through my second year, and he said, you know, you used to be not funny at all, and now you're hilarious. <laughs> and I remember he said that, and I was like, all right, all this yeah, writing is yeah. paying off. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you could go start getting checks from churches. Right, yes. <laughs> then I, I did. I started to get paid um, – uh, quite a bit from churches and clubs and stuff about yeah. mid-year too. Yeah. You know what I love about that story though is is I, I one of the things that's just a pet peeve of mine is how for some reason uh, in our Western culture, we always try to display this overnight success. Yeah. And there's no such thing. <laughs> no. In any field, there's yeah. no such thing. So what you're describing is, yeah, at 18, you get your mom and someone else to laugh. You do a bunch of free stuff for a year. You're doing a lot of work then. Yeah. You're doing a lot of work. Then you get Jimmy Fallon. You're writing mm-hmm. for a show, but you're still doing a lot of work. Yeah. You're just grinding, still grinding, grinding, still grinding. learning. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing to have such a national opportunity like that. But it doesn't mean that you're perfect yet. You know, you have to like keep working on the skill, so to speak. And and to be honest, it's great when somebody else thinks that you're funny, but you have to like learn to be really funny. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah. again, it, it doesn't mean that you're funny naturally. Like the some of the most boring people are the funniest people. They just have to like. Work why? On why it. is that? What do you What do you mean by that? Like, well, you know, like so they say. Are, Jerry, like, are you saying I could be funny? 
<laughs> Appreciate your honesty. Yeah, this yeah. is no gray areas. <laughs> yeah. If anybody's hearing in the audio, they just heard me do a high pitch. Mm. Yeah. No, of course you could. Of course yeah. you could. Yeah. Yeah, no gray I, areas. You're not supposed to lie. Yeah. So I, I, so I appreciate your honesty. I, I I have an unpopular opinion. A lot of comedians believe comedy can't be taught. So that's that's a huge belief in the comedy community. Like you're born um, with it or... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah either yeah. you can do it or you can't. They don't believe... A lot of comedians don't believe in teaching comedy. Like, you know, there's uh, like comedy classes. A lot of stand-ups will say like, don't go to them because you can't be taught comedy. Mm. I disagree. Not just because I... I run a comedy class. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. But that'd be funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you want to pay, go on to chrisweinland.com. Uh, $500. And two, a, um, oh, I was going to say 200 So you oh, bumped you it up, right? I bumped okay. it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. You know, uh, you got to make money somehow. Um, no, but I, I, I feel like you, if you work really hard, if yeah. you learn it, you can do it. But you really have to apply yourself. Like, you have to look at comedy as not just a natural born thing, yeah. but like, yeah. how do you make people laugh? Kind of, how do you control the room? And if we started listing the comedians that are like, you know, socially, nationally. <laughs> okay, because that, that's all of them. Yeah, probably. No, it is right? like Jerry Seinfeld is known to be socially awkward. Yeah. People, uh, when they meet him, they just think he's rude, but he's yeah. not. He's just all up in his head. Yeah. And he's Jerry Seinfeld, you know? Yeah. So most most comics are like that. But I, th I think too, if we started listing like the Jerry Seinfelds and yes. the Robin Williams and all these people that, that international, we probably find they all grind. They all yeah. right. They're none of none of them just mm -hmm. uh, walk out and yeah. have their stuff right. Yeah, like they're they're working. Not only yeah. in the past, but still. Yeah. Well, in you know, in my book, The Great Heckle, which I had written and published, is. Uh, there's a story because I tell a lot of stories of these comics, and there's a story about We're Jerry come Seinfeld. We're going to talk about the, the book, but keep yes. going. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry. So there's a story about Jerry Seinfeld before he got famous, and he got heckled by a guy who threw a glass at him. Yeah. Like the guy was just, they were in a bar, the guy was drunk, he wasn't paying attention, and he just started like booing Jerry, Sein Jerry Seinfeld, who's a legend now, right? But at the time he wasn't, he was just grinding. And so the, this guy like threw the glass and Jerry Seinfeld went off at this guy. Then the club owner came up and was like, you have to get out of here. And Jerry's like, why do I have to get out of here? This guy threw a glass at me. He's like, you just have to trust me, get out of here. Turns out he was a hitman um, for a mafia at the time. <laughs> And so it, we almost didn't know who Jerry Seinfeld was. We almost was. did not know. No, because a, a different comedian a night later got his arm broken by this hitman. Literally, that's yeah, how intense yeah. it was. Like, the, so you the, have a you have a dangerous job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I might. I'm a hero. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would use the term hero <laughs> yeah. so much. Thanks for using I, it for I, me. I think you are a hero. <laughs> wow. So yeah, you deal with a lot of that. That's why I'm like, I can't believe anybody would choose that. And yeah. again. I speak on public stages. I mean, mm -hmm. I get the whole thing, prepping, putting something together, trying to grab their attention. But you're calm, like you're up there all alone. You're not just storytelling. Mm -hmm. You're it's just people are expecting yeah. to laugh. Like even as a speaker, you might tell a story that's funny. And if people laugh, it's fine. Right. But if they don't, it's an illustration. Exactly. But in your world, you have to. They have to laugh. laugh. Yeah. And after a while, it just becomes pretty comfortable like you know what jokes will get people to laugh or what type of culture it is like I always like to sit by the audience a few minutes before to get up on stage just to get to feel them are they one-liner type of audiences are they observational do they just want to sit and hear stories and it sounds crazy but you can learn all that just by talking to one audience really member. oh yeah absolutely. now that's probably something you had to learn as well yes right? it's like taken me you, you know yeah. a decade to learn that yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about the book, The Great Heckle. So, so I'm for the people that watch 
Um, I'm holding the, <laughs> the book. Twenty up. people you can that not see my only haircut. See Chris's really cool haircut, yeah, but the book that I'm holding up here, the Great Heckle, <laughs> which we're going to actually you you gave us a few copies to give yes. away to our audience, so mm -hmm. we will do that. Um, tell us a little bit about the Great Heckle. So I wrote this book a couple years ago based on necessity, and it was my heart for comedians to get the gospel out to them because I was featuring it and I was headlining at a lot of clubs. And so I, I was doing a lot of churches. That was kind of the height of it, where I was just performing at all these churches. Yeah. But then I, I kept doing a lot of clubs. And the one thing I learned is, so when you're when you're featuring or headlining at a comedy club, you are with the other two or one comedian for the whole weekend. Because there's, um, there's about six shows that you'll do, uh, five to six shows that you'll do at a comedy club uh, for the whole weekend. And you, you get paid a little bit for it and everything. But you hang out with these comics, and you hang out with the same comics all weekend. And so I started ministering the gospel to them because that's my heart. My heart is that entertainers are the most influential people in the entire world, and yet nobody's reaching out to them for the gospel. And I, it Wait, hit me one okay, day. Okay, say that again. So entertainers are the most influential people in the entire world. Yep, and I think most of us would agree with that. Yes, yep, yep. And, and if anybody wants to argue it, I would love to argue with yeah, you. Yeah. Because I, I there's just so yeah. many different, you know, I mean, the Kardashians put out one episode and millions of people are watching, yep, right? Yep. And they'll do anything that they that they say. Yeah. You look at social media, same thing. If somebody's yeah. plugging a product and they have 200 million followers, everybody's going to want that product. We ask entertainers their opinions on politics. Right. You're like, why, why, why? They're famous in the movie. Why would we? Right. But that's, they're influential. They have Right. To, okay, so, so keep going. So, yes. They're the most, they're the most influential people in the entire world and nobody is reaching out to them for the gospel. And obviously that's a big nobody. There yeah, are a couple yeah. of organizations going out there, but, yeah. but it's so unreached. I mean, there's millions and most of them have a hatred towards God, a misunderstanding towards God. They're atheists, they're agnostic, or they left the church. They've been mistreated and, or yeah, had a bad experience. Right. Yep, and yep. nobody, nobody looks at them as people. Because they're in front of millions of people, everybody looks at them as like Hollywood unreachables or like lowercase gods. And they're not. Yeah. They're human beings that are away from uh, the grace of Jesus Christ and desperately, desperately need it. Yeah. And yet nobody's even trying. Yeah. And so that hit me a few years ago when I was doing comedy and I'm hanging out with these people and I'm hearing such like bitterness and anger and you know their marriages are falling apart and all this stuff. And so I made it my, my, uh, my mission field, if you will, to say, how can I reach them for the gospel? So every time I do like a weekend with the same comics, I would be with them everywhere. I'd say, hey, before we do a, a show the next day, you, you want to go to breakfast together, you want to do lunch together. And I would just be in their face as much as possible. And then I would wait for the opportunity for them to ask me anything about Jesus or God. And then it's like, that's that was it. And so I would minister the gospel to these guys. I'd pray for them before their show. I would do everything I could. And at the end, I realized there was a missed opportunity where they didn't have any resources. I mean, yeah, I'd give them a Bible, but they didn't have any resources to help explain the gospel in their language. And it kind of hit me when I was reading the book of Acts, where Paul is at Athens and he talks about the unknown God, right? He uses their language and their understanding and their culture to minister the gospel. And yeah. so that's essentially that's what, what this book is. he wrote to the Corinthians is. when he said, be all things to mm -hmm. all people. You know, he's, he's like, yeah. yeah. Exactly, so be all things to all thing. people. Yep. So, so I wrote this book called The Great Heckle, and it's a short book on purpose so that a comedian could just read it on the plane or, you know, just kind of in a couple of evenings. And uh, it preaches the gospel, and it talks about, let's imagine that Jesus is the greatest entertainer to ever live. 
Now, not not in the sense where he's like fake or anything like that, because yeah. a lot of entertainers could be considered fake. No, what if he was the most artistic, most creative hmm. human being to ever live? Because he was. Now let's Which say, entertainers are creative and yep. right. Yep, that's and, and most entertainers, they actually want to speak truth. They want to pursue yeah, truth yeah. and they want to speak it out. Well, Jesus was the most truthful that yeah, ever lived. Yeah. Well, and then also he was the most heckled in the entire universe. And so that's why it's called the great heckle because comedians, we know what heckling is, right? Oh, We've Chris, been heckled that's before. So, that's so good. And, and anybody, I mean, the, the mm -hmm. higher, the more popular you get, if you're just on the YouTube, whatever, if you've got a few likes, but if you get a thousand likes, mm -hmm. guarantee you, you're going to have some heckling in there too. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. But, but so you're helping these people understand this, this historical figure named Jesus was maybe the greatest entertainer of all times and was heckled more than anyone else. Heckled more than anyone else. Probably put in a way that they've never heard. Exactly. And I, I'll tell you something really cool. So we, we started partnering. I just published this two years ago and I did it because I felt like the Lord told me to. And yeah. again, I just did it because there, there was no resources. Yeah. I didn't know what to do with it. So, so far, this is amazing. I partnered with two comedy clubs in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, and what we do is when the headliner comes in, there's these gift baskets that I make. And the gift baskets have the book in it. And it yeah. preaches the gospel yeah. to them. So I got an email. At the end of the book, it says, uh, email me if you read this book. Just send me an email so I know that you got it. And there was a comedian who was a dirty comic. I met her for two minutes. I was headlining this show. And she was opening. And... Uh, I just gave her the book. I said, hey, here you go. This is for you. She read it in a, in a night, and she emailed me, and she said, I used to, be a, a, used to go to church when I was a kid, and I've just walked away from the Lord. And this has helped me to understand Jesus in a way I never did. And that, to me, is like, that is headway. You know, yep. that is like yep. pushing the gospel to the entertainers. And so, yeah. um, so that's, that's the whole reason I wrote this book. Yeah. It's just to, like, get it out there. Yeah. And stop looking at people like they're untouchable, but like they desperately need Jesus. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Love your heart with that too. I mean, when you go back and you talk mm -hmm. about the Acts, the passage in Acts yeah. where Paul is saying that, and then Corinthians where he's saying, be, be all things, all people. I think a lot of times someone who's grown up in the church or people mm -hmm. that are um, from a faith-based perspective are going, well, how do I do that? Yeah. Like, how do I do that in my field? I love that you figured out a way. Yeah, And I've actually never thought about it from that perspective before, that he was the greatest entertainer mm -hmm. and more heckled. Yeah. I mean, here we are 2,000 years after he walked on this earth, and he's still, still being influencing heckled. people and still being heckled. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that's actually how the book starts, because the book says, you know, you as a comedian, uh, you've been heckled before. And the worst part of being heckled is that nobody's listening to you, right? You got up on stage, and you only had a few seconds to speak before somebody yells, boo, just because they want to. And so the whole idea of the premise of the book is to say, don't heckle Jesus. You've been heckled before, read this one book, and then if you're not satisfied, if you're upset at Jesus for whatever reason, send me an email, mm -hmm. yell at me, right? Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk. But most of the times when, when a comedian takes me up on this challenge, they, they don't know what to do with this. Mm. They read it and they go, well, wait a second. Like, if Jesus is true and the words that you're putting in here are true, then what does that mean for me? What do I do? Yeah. And that is one of the coolest situations that any person can be in because they have to make a decision. You used the phrase too, you talked about purpose, yeah. which is, is, is a perfect segue into like the No Gray Areas podcast. Yeah. I mean, what we talk about here is how do we live on purpose for a purpose? How do we make good choices? Yeah. So that's part of the reason you wrote this too, is just yeah. to help people find purpose, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm such an ambitious, uh, ambitious person. Yeah. So for the longest time, I overcomplicated what purpose was. And um, then I, I read the, 
the two greatest commandments that Jesus says, right, is the love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. If an entertainer could understand that, then they would understand their purpose. Mm. And there's so many times where entertainers misuse what they think their purpose is. They think it's to get as famous as possible, any means necessary. And that's not it at all. In fact, Jesus gives us, if we're loving God and we're loving our neighbor, then we're supposed to die to ourselves a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you one of the things, I had to check my heart on this. So I was a comedian. I was like six years in. I was doing okay in Cleveland, Ohio. I was like starting to kind of work my way up there. There was a guy I took under my, under my wing, and he didn't really start doing comedy. I got him in to start doing comedy. Well, before I knew it, he was moving up in, in the ladder way quicker than me. And I couldn't figure out why. And I went to a mic with him, and you know what this guy did? This is mind-blowing. He, after every comic would get off stage, he would walk up to him, no matter who they are, even if he's never met him, and he'd say, great job, can I get you anything? And they'd be like, I guess, yeah, I'd love a drink. He's like, great, I'm getting you a drink. Then go get him a drink. Well, before you know it, this kid was getting all the gigs, all the gigs, because everybody was like, this guy cares about me. He's like doing everything for me. And I remember, and he wasn't a Christian, and I remembered sitting there. And but I was he like, was living out the words of Jesus. Serving, he was, without realizing yeah. it. And I was sitting there, and I was like, I have been doing this all wrong. I need to be serving these guys. Not, not so I can move forward, yeah. but because I need to care. I do care about them. Yeah. Why am I not doing this? Yeah. Why is somebody showing me up? Yeah. And the moment I realized that, I was like, yeah, imagine if entertainers like myself would just take that full on and say, hey, great show. How can I, how can I take care of you? Yeah. Do you want a yeah. drink? You want anything? It's on me. Whatever you want. Yeah. And it's like just thinking about that would absolutely change somebody's perspective. They'd want to sit down and have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. So you're about to start a podcast. We're gonna get into that moment, but let me yeah. let me before we jump into that. Um, what was the worst experience you've had as a comedian, and then the best? Yeah, the worst experience I think I've had as a comedian. Man, yeah, okay, I know what it is. So uh, this was a few years into comedy. This is maybe four years in, right? And you're just doing all the mics you can get. And so there was this one gig. I think I got paid twenty dollars for it. You know, nothing big. And it was at this bar. And there was supposed to be an audience, but for whatever reason, there was no audience. There were two people, two people in the audience. <laughs> and, it, and your mom wasn't one of them? And my mom was not one yeah, of them. Yeah. No, they were these two ladies. They didn't yeah. even know each other. They were sitting <laughs> across the way. So it's even awkward. It's this big bar area. Yeah. There's one person in the middle and one person on the side. <laughs> well, apparently the comedian before me uh, offended one of the ladies. So she got up and left. And it was my turn. Now I only had one person in the whole audience. How do you entertain an audience of one person. Do you still look around the room like it's full? I did. People? I didn't know what to do. I walked up and I was like, "So where's my audience from?" It was one person. <laughs> she didn't get the joke and she just left. I was like, "That was just me. It was me." So that that was the worst show, I think. Yeah. Um, with no audience. With no audience. Although, if you would have just gone through your routine, you probably would have thought you were hilarious. Yeah, I I pretty much did at the end. I just started practicing. Did you, know? you just quit? Did you? I, I know everyone's no. wondering right no, now. No, I did you, the full thirty. You minutes. did the full thirty minutes. Absolutely, full commitment. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter who's it's there. It's all in. You know. Okay. Well, yeah, because you're able to f- try new material, practice new, you yeah. know, or just yeah. or just work on the same one and and try to like Get you know the there, timing and all. There's that. always yeah. an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, don't just don't miss the opportunity. A lot of people, like I remember, there were there were so many people that would say like, "I'm better than this." Like I remember, you know, people would do that. Then they would like leave. Well, those people are not doing comedy anymore. Yeah. Me and when I started Youngstown, Ohio. Um, 2008, me and another guy are the only ones still doing comedy. There were 20 of us. 
Now it's me and this other guy that are only doing comedy. And we call each other once a month. He's in New York City. I'm here in Phoenix. We'll call each other once a month. And all we do is hype each other up. Yeah. We just say, you're still doing it. Keep yeah. going. Keep, keep going. going. Keep doing That's it. it. Yeah. Because everybody else quit. Yeah. And yeah. I only had one time in my entire career yeah. where I woke up and I thought I was going to quit. And I remembered thinking, well, you know what? Just by me going means I'm winning. Everybody else, they just give up. So it's like suddenly the race becomes easier and easier yeah. just because you're the only one still running it. It reminds me of uh, Joe Gagliano who wrote the book No Gray Areas, oh, yeah, this yeah. podcast after. He always says if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Yes. And and that's what you're seeing. Yes. You know, it goes back to the grind. It's like it's it not, you know, you, when you see the comedian up there with a the packed house and having a great time yeah. and everybody's laughing and everything that person at some point had a story like yours. Absolutely, yeah. Guaranteed. And, and you know, that kind of answers your other question, what was the best show? And yeah. I remember the best show for me was I was doing a, a Joshua Fest in California. It was 6,000 people. And I was opening up, right, or I was, I had like somehow they had given me the main spot. Because yeah. they had told me, they were, they were like, you know, we've had Christian comedians here before, but like you're just a different Christian comic. And there there is, because I don't do the churchy material, because I didn't grow up in church. Yeah. So I just do funny material. Yeah. And some of it can be a little edgy. I grew up with divorced parents. So I say that at church at churches, and people like love it. Yeah. And so they said, well, we want to give you like the prime spot. So it was Sunday night, and it was right after Red and right before Skillet. And I yeah. got up. And what was crazy was I brought a friend to sell my shirts, and he did such a good job. They sold all 200 shirts before I had ever performed. And so now everybody's wearing the, my shirts. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like staring out in the eye. They don't even know if I'm funny yet. And, and you're looking just, at 200 yeah. people with your shirts on. Yeah, and somehow they started, I think it was my friend, they started like chanting my name. I'm like, you know nothing about yeah. me. But, you know, I think it was just because I was right there at the height of it, like between the two like best acts of the show. And I just, uh, to be honest, like I killed. And I sound, I know that that doesn't sound humble, yeah. but I did. It was one of the best shows. Uh, Six thousand people, yeah. you know, outside. Anybody was, in any field, you yes. know, when you hit it, like, yeah, you just, you just, you, you just hit know. a home run on that one. Yeah, right? you, yep. you just know. And one of the coolest parts of it was a uh, few acts before was Reliant K. And when I lived in Ohio, my sister and I would love to listen yeah, to Reliant yeah. K. And we would, I would say, you know, one day, like, I'm going to get out of Ohio. Like, you know, it's one yeah. of those funny stories. I'm going to get out of Ohio and I'm going to tour. And there I am with Reliant K, a, the, yeah. the, the band I used to listen to. And so it was just such a cool experience that is for cool. me. What, when, when was that? What year? That was... Like, how long have you been grinding at this? Yeah, I think I was eight years in. I was okay. eight years in when yep. that happened. Yep. And then since then, there was just so many breakthroughs of doing big shows regularly. But I remember that night, people thought I was like this big rock star. And I was like, are you kidding me? This yeah. is like the first time I've ever performed in front of 6,000 people. Yeah. I'm expecting half these people to leave. You know, it's like you're just used to the grind. You're used to like, um, and oddly enough, I think that's why the gospel is going to be so like, is, it's going to make a lot of sense with entertainers. Because entertainers know if you're going to go down this path, it is hard. Like expect to, to sleep in your car a few nights. Expect to like not have food sometimes. Expect to like eat ramen for a year. And Sounds Jesus, a little bit like what Jesus said yes, to us, right? Where he says, hey, there's no place to lay your head. Yep. And I, I, that's why I, I Take say, up your cross and follow me. Like this yeah. isn't going to be easy. Right. And that's why, honestly, I feel like I've had conversations with, with comedians where they're like, well, church doesn't really make sense to me. And I'm just like, well, that's because maybe they didn't tell you the cost. If they told you the cost, you would want to do it because comedians love the cost. Like entertainers, we, we're all out for the cost. The whole reason, like, yeah, I got laughs, but it was that night, that first night of doing comedy, that headliner was like, hey, if you want to be a comedian, expect to have nothing good for you for like five years. 
And the moment he said that, something about me was like, that's what I want. I want to sleep in my car. Like, I want to do something really hard. And I think entertainers, if they hear that for the gospel, like, it's about dying to self. Mm. It's a challenge that they're like, that's amazing. Chris, this is so cool because I never put these things together. Like, <laughs> I've never seen how that connects. And and I love how you've connected those dots and then wrote a book on it. Mm -hmm. And, man, it, it is it is so true. I'll bet that night where you had 200 people wearing your shirts in the audience, yeah. 6,000 people, and they're all laughing. Part of what that made that so special, too, is you'd been grinding for eight years. I mean, you yeah. had some wins. You'd had some mm -hmm. losses. You had uh, an so audience many. of two where one leaves as you get up because the other yeah. one defends them. Yeah, yeah. And then, the, I mean, that's just, that made it special in some ways, So right? special, yeah. yeah. The wins you learn to just appreciate 10 times more because it could become a loss at yeah. any time, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I the remember. The next night. <laughs> yeah, well, in 2020, the height of 2020, I was uh, a sidekick on a radio show yeah. that had 5 million listeners. It was the, the number one weekend radio show in the world. Yeah. And I was loving it. It was a job I was supposed to have for the next 10, 15 years. And they loved me, and it was like such a big deal. And I remembered like, it was right down the street from my house, the studio was. So I would, I would wake up every morning and I would be like, babe, I've made it. Literally, like, I would say these words, right? I've made it. Get in my car and go. As you know, in 2020, a thing called COVID hit. Uh -huh. And I lost my dream job in, in, in a day. Uh, everybody got fired. Everybody. Because there were, just nobody knew what was happening. Yeah. And so I remembered, like, I was like, man, this is what I thought I was working so hard for, was that job. And I lost it in a second. And I remember having a conversation with this sweet old lady at my church that said, well, I bet you're just appreciative that you had the time with it. And I was like, wow, I never thought of that. Hmm. You know, you usually just look at the loss as being like the worst part. But what if you're just appreciative of the time that you had? And then who knows what could happen, yeah. you know, coming up. And it just changed yeah. my whole perspective. There's the, there's the wisdom of someone who'd lived a few decades, Yes, right? yeah, it came from a sweet old lady. Yeah. I was like, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have this new um, podcast coming out called Forgotten Hollywood, right? Yes. And, um, I'm you're so not, excited about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. When's that coming out? So it's going to come out in March. Um, everywhere you can listen to a podcast. Okay. And it's slightly different than, well, it's a history podcast. Have you ever listened to history podcasts? No, but I want, because I'm a history geek, I need to start Oh, you need to. Them. Just type, I well, love, I love history. In yeah. March, type in Forgotten Hollywood, subscribe, okay. you're going to love it. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. I'm not just saying it because I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a really good <laughs> no, show. we already established that you're my hero. Yeah. Oh, so, okay, good, so good, good. I, I'm for you sure. guys heard that, right? Okay, great. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so well, so it's a history podcast, yeah. which basically means like there's no real interviews. It's you're telling a story that really happened, and there's all these facts. And for me, like I wanted to make sure I have a, a friend that works for me, and his main job right now is to get all Just of the facts the right. Just get the story straight. Like I'll tell him, I remember reading this in a book, and I remember reading this. I need you to go find those books, find those, highlight it, make sure that that I'm right. And then I tell the stories, and so there's well, just... Well, let me, let me give you a plug right here. I'm going to give a plug for okay, you right yeah. now. I mean, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a speaker, mm -hmm. if you're a writer, if you do anything like that, sounds like you need to listen to this because you're always, right? Anybody who's doing that is always trying to come up with illustrations or stories. Yeah. So wow, we, we I can, like this. Uh -huh. I never thought of that. We, we just listen to you, and we're you. getting material for <laughs> that's that. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I'm plugging you. I yeah, you're my hero now. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm, so okay, this is so, the best interview I've ever been to. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> thank kidding. you. 
I'm your hero. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're my hero now. Forgotten how, how do how does someone find yeah. you first? So so uh, anybody can find me uh, on my website chriswineland.com or uh, on Instagram. I'm on every day at Chris Wineland Comedy, and I do a lot of this forgotten Hollywood stuff on my Instagram, usually on my stories. And the whole idea is that there's so much of Hollywood history that you do not know. Yeah. Um, and most of it is like uh, Christian history that nobody knew. Uh, for instance, Hollywood started off as a Christian town. Did you know that? No. no, a lot of people no. didn't. It started off as a Christian town, Hollywood. And in fact, they didn't want movies. They didn't want alcohol. They didn't want gambling. And it was just this little town outside of LA. And when there was a drought, they had to, they had to combine with Los Angeles. And the moment they did that, movies came in. But originally, it was a parade over. Uh, all these churches were there, like just a parade over piece of land that um, became a community of, of diehard Christians. So where Hollywood sits today was originally a piece of land that people prayed over oh, yeah. and launched a bunch of churches, and that's where Hollywood sits today. That's where Hollywood sits today. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Yeah, and that's actually the first episode of Forgotten Hollywood. We've, uh, we have 10 episodes for this first season. It's all going to launch in March. We've been doing kind of batch recordings, so um, I, I, I'm just a, a bit of like a perfectionist, if you will, in that. Yeah. So we've been recording. I've even re-recorded a couple of episodes just because I haven't been happy with them. And yeah, um, yeah they're all going to launch for 10 weeks starting in March. And they're just going to go every week. And um, there's just there's so much to it. Like, did you know the power of a joke is so powerful that in World War II, Great Britain actually created a comedy show that would mock Hitler and would get into German airwaves, like get into their radios. Their whole idea, they, they funded it. The government funded it because they thought if, if Germany yeah. can make fun, if yeah. they can laugh at Hitler, yeah. game over. Yeah. That's how powerful a joke is. So, so they're 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 taking money and they're building missiles and airplanes and boats and developing special and forces and spies show. in a comic. Yeah, in a comedy an show. actual comedy show. Yeah. And I re like when I first read that because I'm a comedy writer. I've written for a lot of late night shows, and I thought, man, I would love that job. Could you imagine if the government called you up and said, "We just want you to make a funny <laughs> show, making fun of some dictator." Yeah, making Absolutely. fun of Adolf Hitler. Absolutely. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and they they did a really smart thing too because the whole the whole premise of the show was that he was a German soldier who was obsessed with Hitler, but everything he was saying was terrible about Hitler. So the German audience would know, like, wait a second, this isn't a real show. This is a comedy show, and then they started to laugh, and it became a really big part of World War II. Wow, jokes wow. are powerful. Yeah, yeah, so much so that like you look in the Bible. And what was Elijah doing with the prophets, the false prophets? He was making fun of their yeah, fake yeah, God. Yeah, you know? He was mocking Hey, them. Maybe, yeah. maybe he's in the bathroom, yeah. right? And the moment you tell a joke, that, that side that you're telling a joke towards loses power. You know, I have never thought of Elijah as a stand-up comic until oh, yeah. you just shared that. He but, was a great comic. I mean, that's one of my favorite <laughs> stories, and I mean it this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite <laughs> stories in the Bible. When he does that and he's up there, someone has to, if you don't know what we're talking about, go find that. It's the story of Elijah with the, mm -hmm. with the false prophets up there. But you're right. He's, he's using, using humor to make his point yes. to both the prophets and the audience, yes. the people that were watching. Yeah. And so that's one of the episodes we talk about is the power of a joke. It's one of the episodes for Forgotten Hollywood. And we talk about Elijah and we talk about how uh, in China, for instance, did you know Winnie the Pooh is banned? Because, oh. yeah, because Winnie the Pooh supposedly looks like their president. 
and they said, that's it. Nobody can make fun of uh, I like how of you said supposedly so you can stay alive. Just in case, yeah. <laughs> yes. Just in case China's listening. I yes. just want to be okay. Um, yeah, because it, it, yeah. And so literally, it's the power of a joke. They're trying to shut it down because why? He would lose power in the minds of the people. Yeah. A yeah. joke can can power shift. Yeah. That's why that's why you see the the mob right now just trying to get rid of comics because when a comic tells a joke, there's a power shift. Yeah. Man, that's, that's that is so interesting. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait. March. Forgotten Hollywood. Okay, Forgotten tell Hollywood. us again how to get a hold of you. If so, someone wants to find you. Um so you can get a hold of me uh chriswineland.com. Uh, or at Chris Wineland Comedy on all Can of my socials. Can you spell Wineland your last name? Yes, it's yeah. W-I-N-E-L-A-N-D. You drink so too like, much wine, you land on the ground. <laughs> okay. That, that's our family slogan. Yeah. It is. Wineland. Yeah. Okay, ChrisWineland.com. ChrisWineland.com. And uh, I forgot to tell you this, but Forgotten Hollywood is partnering with the coolest Christian history studio, podcast studio in the whole world. They're called Revive uh, Studios. And they do uh, Christian history podcasts. So if you want to listen to any others, you got to listen to them. I partnered with them because they are literally my favorite uh, Christian history podcast. I am definitely going to look that up. This is so applicable because, as you know, with No Gray Areas, mm -hmm. we're in the process of making, turning this biggest sports scandal, turning it into a movie. So we're leveraging entertainment. Yes. And we're trying to reach a million kids with the curriculum. And so, again, it's just the power of entertainment, the power of that world and and and, mm -hmm. and, and, and leveraging that so as you're powerful. trying to do. So, so good. So one of the things we do um, on our podcast is I ask two truths and a lie, okay. which is ironic. Again, No Gray Areas, I'm telling you to lie to me. So, <laughs> right. So... Audience has gotten to know you a little bit. I've gotten to know you. Tell us two truths and a lie. See if we can guess. Okay, let's do this. Two truths and a lie. Here we go. Uh, I am a marathon runner. I died before for a really long time. I uh, led a celebrity to the Lord. Died for a really long time. What does that mean? I think I, I, think I remember seeing, because I do follow you on social media, mm -hmm. Um, and people should follow you. You have, you put some. You have some <laughs> hilarious stuff. It'll bring a smile to your face almost every day. Um, I th I think I remember you saying sometime that you ran a marathon or that you ran. So that's a truth, isn't it? That is a truth. Yeah. Okay. I'm a marathon runner. Yeah. I say that very loosely because yeah. I'm the worst runner. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I started in 2020. In the after I had lost my radio job, I just wanted to kind of like stay exercise yeah. and stay healthy because it that really kind of like was a downward thing for me. So I just picked something impossible because I'm not a runner. And uh, I've ran two half marathons already. I have two more coming up in the next three months. And I'm doing the San Diego half marathon in June. That's so cool. Congrats, yeah. man. I love hearing that. Okay, so I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say the dying one is a lie. See, this is why I'm great at two truths and a lie because it's true. I died. You're a good liar. Thanks. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I usually put that on my resume. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, I'm just kidding. Pray for me. Great Pray liar. for me. Great liar. Um, Great liar. Yeah, no, I, I, I was dead for 36 minutes, according to the medical report. And um, it was when I was 19. And I had, uh, it was routine surgery, and it went wrong. They gave me, according to the medical report, again, they gave me five different types of anesthesia, four of which were lethal. And I died. And they just didn't know how to bring me back. They tried everything. And my mom, who we did not have a great relationship with at, at the time, even though my mom helped me get up on stage and stuff, there was just so much from the past that it was hard for me. And I had gotten saved, but like I still couldn't figure out forgiving one another yet. And 
my mom just prayed for me in the chapel at the same time because she felt like something was going on. And so out of nowhere, I just came back to life after 36 minutes, which is crazy, came back to life. And not only did the Lord resurrect me, but he resurrected my relationship with my mom wow. in that. Yeah, through that. It was what really a cool. great story. Yeah. See, this you're a great storyteller because <laughs> you take two truths and a lie. <laughs> and I turn it into some sort yeah, of a gospel. Yeah, and then it's like turn, yeah, great job. Great job. Chris, thanks so much. Thanks for being on here. Really appreciate it. We got we have two great the great heckle, the books you talked about to give away. So yeah. we're gonna give those away to the audience. Uh, love about your upcoming podcast. I'm gonna check it out. I encourage the audience to check it out. But thanks for what you're doing. Keep it up, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the No Gray Areas podcast. To dive deeper into the story, be sure to subscribe, follow us on social media, and check out nograyareas.com.